Studios, how's everybody doing today? Uh, want to welcome all the Parkview campuses, Homer Glen, New Lenox, Orland Park, those of you that are online here today. My name is Jody Hickerson, and I am a teaching pastor in Ventura, California, but I get to be here from time to time, and I absolutely love um, getting to be with you at Parkview. Um, so welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so stoked for this series that we're in. I've been tracking along online. This is a series that we've been in since the beginning of the year, and I know many of you are tracking along too with the Quest 52. Um, study guide. If you don't know what that is, just go to the, the Guest Central um, info desk and ask somebody for help with Quest 52. But it's a study guide that's 52 weeks looking at the life of Jesus, the person of Jesus. And I'm, I'm tracking along this year as well because I think, man, what a better thing to do this year. I can't think of anything better for us to do this year than get to know Jesus more this year then be transformed by Jesus more this year to start living more like Jesus this year. So that's what we're going after. Man, if you're new, I hope that you jump in and just see like, who is this man? Because that's the big question of this series. Who, who was he? Who is this man? I mean, if you Google him, you're gonna get 1.5 billion hits in 0.43 seconds. I did that last night, just curious. Like, you know, what, what's, what are they saying about Jesus? He's the most represented person in art. Think about that, ever. He's the most written about figure in history. His book has been the bestseller every year for as long as they've been keeping track. He's been represented in film since the beginning of film. He's been a reoccurring character on South Park and The Simpsons. Um, he's been a superstar on Broadway a couple of times. And everyone from, you know, Johnny Cash to Marilyn Manson to, you know, Carrie Underwood to Kanye West have been singing songs about him. He's often thanked for granting athletes success on the field. Sometimes his name is said in anger. He's used as political ammo from both sides. Like, who is he? Jesus. He is the most misrepresented and misunderstood person who has ever lived and also the most impactful. I mean, history is divided by his birth. Like you can't turn on your iPhone. You can't boot up your computer, look at a calendar, open a newspaper, if, if anyone still does that, without being you know, reminded of the impact of this Man, because today you woke up, it's February 19, 2023, 2023 years from what? The birth of this man, Jesus. So who was he really? And how does that impact us today? That is why we are doing this series. We're looking at and learning about and being challenged together and having conversations with one another about who Jesus really is by looking at his actual life like his actual words. Looking at his life in the biographies, um, which are recorded in the New Testament of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the biographies of Jesus' life. So we're just diving in to go, who was he really? And, we, and we've looked at some questions already um, coming up from these pages going, okay, is Jesus God? Is life random? Does God play favorites? If Jesus was perfect, why did he have to get baptized? And there's so many more questions um, that are coming. But today's question that we get to look at as we go on this quest is, does Jesus have a life purpose? And man, if you look at the life of Jesus, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, we see so many purposes fulfilled, right? The forgiveness of sin, 
the, the, the ability to get new life, rescue, redemption, restoration. I mean, so many purposes that are fulfilled, but there are two different times when Jesus himself actually says, I have come to blank. He's like, this is my purpose. One of them is found in John 10, 10, where Jesus says, the enemy of our souls is a thief. And you know, we got an enemy of our souls and he's come to steal, kill and destroy. And then Jesus says, but I have come to give you life and life to the full. That's one of my purposes for being here. And then the other time we see Jesus kind of spell out his purpose is found after this encounter in Luke 19. And so that's what we're going to walk through um, together today. Just to set us up, Jesus and his crew are traveling. And they're traveling through Jericho. And from everything we can gather in this context, the streets are packed. You know, everybody wants a piece of Jesus. Everybody wants to be around Jesus. His popularity has grown. I mean, the stories of his healing, the way that he talks and teaches, people just wanted to be near him. And so the streets are packed. If we could just picture Jesus walking into Jericho. Um, Luke 19, 1 and 2, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. He's just passing through. The streets are packed. And there, by the, there, was, and there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So Jesus is just passing through. The streets are packed. People are wanting to get near him. And this singles out that there was this dude there named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Um, not only a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. And the reason he was wealthy was because he was a chief tax collector. Now, you may be thinking, what is the big deal about being a tax collector? And listen, if you're here and you work for the IRS, like you're welcome, like it's all good, okay? Um, hope for everyone. Um, but this was a big deal in this context because at the time, the Romans ruled over the Jewish people with some violence and oppression and an unfair taxing of whatever they wanted from this people. And the way they would do it is they would get somebody local to buy in. Somebody local that would say, oh yeah, I'll, I'll pay in and I'll pay my taxes in advance to have the opportunity to collect taxes from other people. This was Zacchaeus, literally a traitor and seen as a traitor. And being a, a chief tax collector meant that he had like worked the whole pyramid scheme. And so he's not only collecting taxes, he's hired other tax collectors to work under him and he's just getting a cut of it all. Because the Romans, they were like, as long as we get our cut, like we're fine. We don't care how much you overcharge people. So many tax collectors took advantage of this. This was their reputation. They're pocketing what they wanted. They were cheats. They were making money off of people unfairly. This was him. Zacchaeus was very, very wealthy, but he was very, very hated. But get this about Zacchaeus. Verse three, he wanted to see who Jesus was. <laughs> I love that. He just wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, love that too, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, I don't know how many of us, you know, grew up in church. If you did, you probably remember a little song about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was 
was he? Okay, if you didn't grow up in church, it's weird. I know, we're a little weird. Um, but, th- but that's a little song about Zacchaeus being this wee little man. I've always thought a better song for Zacchaeus would have been, I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. You know, I'm about to climb this tree so I can see because I'm smaller. And I get it, you know, because I'm 5'1", and I'm 5'1 and a half. And every time I walk out into the lobby anywhere, they're like, oh, wow, you're a lot shorter than I thought you were. I'm like, thanks, you know, I don't know. But I'm telling you, there's no way I could see over a crowd. So he's wanting to see Jesus, but he's too short. And so I love this about him. I love seeing his humanity, his curiosity, something that's like, I gotta see what this is about. He's curious, he's not a follower of Jesus. Zacchaeus is hated. He's got a bad reputation for being in the packed streets. He's currently living a dishonest life. He's considered by religious people as unclean. He's not allowed into the temple, but he has heard enough about Jesus that he was curious and he's showing up to see, literally putting himself out on a limb to see for himself, who is this man? Well, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Like the the curiosity of Zacchaeus coming to just see Jesus, to try to get a glimpse of Jesus, to find out what Jesus was all about, stops Jesus in his tracks. Jesus notices that and he tells him to come down. And just a side note, man, when you and I start leaning in, maybe we start getting curious We start wanting to get a glimpse of of what this is all about. Maybe we start on a quest of looking at the life of Jesus. He notices that. He sees us too. He stops. He pays attention. And yeah, he will stop everything to invite us to get closer, to say, come, get a little bit more towards me as he did with Zacchaeus. But let's put ourselves back in this moment for a minute because remember, the streets are packed And everybody's trying to get to Jesus. And then Jesus stops at this tree and specifically notices this guy and says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. We got to understand that everybody in the crowd that day would have been like, oh, Zacchaeus is about to get it. Like Zacchaeus is in trouble. I mean, even if they hoped that like Jesus, the good news was like somehow for them, they knew it wasn't for somebody like Zacchaeus because he was up to no good, right? He was hated for a reason. He had gained and gotten wealthy using them and causing them financial hardship. He was the guy that every other rabbi gave a side eye. I mean, I know there were conversations at home where like, you better be careful, you're gonna grow up and become like Zacchaeus. You know, this was his reputation. So they had to be thinking, finally, like this is gonna be good. Somebody with authority is about to call him out. Somebody with some power is about to put him in his place. And so the crowd is thinking, oh dang, this is about to go down. And they're there for it. They wanna see it. Jesus is about to call him out. And they're imagining Jesus just saying things to Zacchaeus, like how could you take advantage of these people? You ought to be ashamed of yourself because I know God is ashamed of you. You're gonna get what you deserve. But then Jesus, as he does, shocks everyone and says, to Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. Like this was not what people were expecting. He's not condemning him, right? He's not shaming him publicly. He's not putting him in his place. He's not calling him out like right now. 
He's not canceling him. He's saying, can I come over? Like, could I spend some time with you? Could I go to your house? And people are like, these two, these two don't go together. Like, this guy is, is good news, and this guy is bad news. And they are walking off together. And so all the people that saw this began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. I mean, this always frustrated people. Trip people out about Jesus. Like the traitor, really? The outcast? The one that's ripped us off? That's who you're going to hang with today? Like this is all wrong. And we see this over and over and over again in the life of Jesus. You know how that saying, like you can tell uh, about the character of someone by the company that they keep? Like it literally makes people scratch their heads when you try to apply this to Jesus. Because how did Jesus known as the only perfect person to ever have lived in history, managed to attract the notoriously imperfect all the time. It was his way. It is the backwards, upside down way of Jesus. Like people wanted to be around him. Little kids wanted to hang on him. Women were esteemed with him. Outcasts were welcomed with him. People hurting found comfort with him. Those considered notorious sinners, they wanted to eat with him, wanted to party with him, wanted to have him over, wanted to just be close to him. Maybe you've heard this before, but it's true. You look at the biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and what you'll see is people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And he liked them. Why? Because unlike the religious system of that day, Maybe any day. Unlike the religious leaders of that day, unlike the religious law of that day, Jesus had a different purpose and he was clear about it. And it wasn't about who we're keeping out, it was about bringing people in. And that was good news. And it was good news that people were leaning in, getting close, and hoping was true. And listen, the good news wasn't that someone could be accepted and saved and forgiven and redeemed and restored, the good news is that anyone can be. And that's the same good news that we've got today because we've got the same Jesus. And the reality is that because of him, there is hope for every single one of us. Zacchaeus, he, he was probably as shocked as anyone. Like coming down the tree, like seriously, I don't even know what I've got at home. What do I got in the fridge? Like, you know, I, you're coming over now. Like just wait to invite yourself, you know, but you're coming over now. But even more shocked because he knew who he was. He knew how he was living. He knew what he had done to these people. He knew his reputation. He knew he wasn't close to God. He knew he was dishonest. He knew he was a cheat. He knew, and yet he's thinking, you stop for me? You want to be with me? You want to spend time with me? You want to come to my house? And isn't that amazing that the God of the universe who knows everything about us still wants to be with us? Man, this reality, this encounter, this moment, and the time at the house that follows, it wrecks Zacchaeus. He went from being curious and like just putting himself out there on a limb to see like who is this man to experiencing time with Jesus, grace from Jesus, relationship with Jesus, a meal with Jesus, and it 
changed him. And I'll just tell you right now, because that's what time with Jesus does. It changes us. Look at his response. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, this, first of all, he's acknowledging your Lord. Like, I believe you are who you say you are. I, I'm all in. Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I mean, talk about a crazy heart change. If Zacchaeus was in recovery, he just skipped right to steps eight and nine. You know what I'm saying? He's so in awe of the grace of Jesus. He's ready to make amends like today and not just pay back, but go above and beyond giving half of his possessions to the poor and giving everyone he's ever cheated or extorted back four times the amount. What happened in the heart of Zacchaeus in this encounter with Jesus, this time with Jesus, this acceptance with Jesus ended up being good news for the whole community. It changed other people's lives. How does that happen? Well, I'll tell you, it didn't happen because someone came along and condemned him. It happened because Jesus saw him, accepted him, stopped for him, spent time for him, and showed him a better way. And this is what happens for us too. When we get curious, when we get close to Jesus, when we spend time with him, when it gets real personal to us, when we get wrecked by grace, when we begin to believe that maybe this good news about Jesus is real, it is true, and it is for us, something begins to happen on the inside of us that comes out on the outside and becomes good news for everyone around us. It's transformation. It's redemption, it's heart change, it's going from lost to found. And look at what Jesus said next. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus says, today, today, you got saved. Salvation came to this house. And, and this guy, Jesus says, the outcast, the cheat, the con artist, the swindler, the dealer, he is a part of the family of God. He gets in for the son of man. Here comes our purpose statement. Jesus just lands with this one. Came to seek and save the lost. I love thinking about Jesus being in Zacchaeus' house and saying this, watching this transformation, watching Zacchaeus say, I'm giving it all to the poor and I'm gonna pay back four times. And Jesus looks at him, he's like, man, I was born for this. This is why I came. Moments like this to seek and save the lost. This is it for me. I came for this to seek and save the lost. Jesus came for those who thought they could never get in to be able to get in. Purpose of Jesus' life to seek and save, it's for those who are drowning to find air. He came for those who are lost to be found, for those who are stuck to find freedom. He came for those who were dead in their sin to become alive. Jesus says, I have come to seek and save the lost. And I don't know where you're at today, but if you are feeling lost, man, I've been there more than once. Directionless, hopeless, wandering, aimless, empty maybe. 
Maybe you screwed up or you feel on the outside or just things are messy. You're just lost. And if you were to write it all out, all this stuff, you're like, yeah, it's the finances or it's the family stuff or it's what's going on with the kids or it's the affair or it's the bad decisions or it's the addiction or the depression or, or, or my reputation. You write it all out, it just looks like bad news. But I've got some good news for us today. God didn't send us a self-help book on how to get better. God didn't send us a rule book. He did not send us a to-do list. He sent us what we need. He sent us a savior. He sent us his son. That's who this man is. Jesus, our savior. And he specializes in seeking and saving the lost. Like still, he is after you. He is pursuing you because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you and wants to transform your life. And maybe you're here today and you, you're just checking it out. Like literally, you're a little curious and you feel like a little out on the limb even to, to show up. You don't really wanna be seen in the crowd either. You just rather you know, sneak in and sneak out. First of all, I'd like to say welcome because we are all welcome with all of our doubts and listen, none of us should ever stop being curious about Jesus and seeking Jesus out, and he's never gonna stop pursuing any one of us. But I just wanna spend a little bit of time today, if you are just leaning in, maybe for the first time, looking at a few questions about this Savior, Jesus, who said his purpose was to seek and save the lost. Because if it's true, it could change your life. First question is this, is there a need for a savior? Is there a need for a savior? Well, if you have ever sinned, this is what scripture teaches, yes, there's a need for a savior. And sin is simply missing the mark, like missing the bullseye, like you know, missing perfection. If you've ever missed the mark, like there's a need for a savior. But if you haven't, like if you've, if you've never had a bad thought, if you've never lost your temper, you've never envied, you've never turned to an addiction, you've never been greedy, selfish, lustful, prideful, hateful, unforgiving, impure, or mean, then no, there's no need for a savior. Um, but then, you know, you just lied, so there's that. Um, so there goes that. But what we see in scripture, in, in the context of God's big epic story, is that we have a holy God. And listen, we don't want our God to be anything less than holy. And holiness cannot coexist with sin, yet God wants this relationship with us, so how does this work? So the Bible's really clear that the penalty of sin, the punishment, like what we deserve for our rebellions against a holy, perfect, amazing, righteous God, our creator, is, is death. So since the very beginning of time, since sin first entered the world, something had to die to cover that sin so that people could stay in relationship with a really holy God. Like that's where we see the sacrificial system um, in the Old Testament play out where people would bring animals and they would sacrifice to atone, to cover for their sin so that they could keep relationship with God. And that went on for a long time until God said, okay, it is finished. Because I'm sending my son, Jesus, to sacrifice himself, to cover all the sin, your sin, the, your past, your present, your future sin, to make us all right with God once and for all, to make a way for everybody to get in. And listen, we've, we've all sinned, every single one of us, we know this right, we've challenged God, we've ignored God, we've said, forget you, God. 
We've called the shots. We've chosen to disobey, to, to rebel. We've been greedy. We've been lustful. We've been prideful. We've been arrogant. We followed our own desires. I mean, every single one of us, there's not like levels to like who needs a savior. It, this is an all skate if you grew up in the 90s or 80s, right? This is an all skate. This is all of us. I like to imagine it like we're all hanging um, by a chain over the Grand Canyon. And it doesn't matter if you only broke one link in the chain, but somebody else broke like 500 links. You're both going down, okay? And it doesn't matter which link you broke. Like if I broke link 23, but you broke, you know, link two, we're still both going down. Sin is sin. And we all need a savior to pay our debt, to restore us back to relationship with God. And that's what God wants. That's why he sent his son. So question two for our curiosity, is Jesus that savior? Is this man who said his purpose was to seek and save the lost? Who said what that day he could give someone salvation? Was he who he said he was? Like, is this true? Well, around here we believe that it is. That Jesus is our savior. And that there's hope for every single person through him. And I personally believe, and I'm just gonna fly through these, that Jesus is our savior for a few reasons. One is the historical evidence. Like just looking at the facts. And if you're curious, man, like let's say you're, you're starting your freshman year of college or, or whatever, or maybe this was high school for you or you have to think way back, but you get assigned the works of Plato and Aristotle. Like you probably don't question the accuracy of those documents you're studying. Like, is this what Plato really said? Is this what Aristotle really said? Like, we don't really question the reliability or accuracy of those documents. But did you know that there are only seven copies of ancient manuscripts of Plato and only five copies of manuscripts of Aristotle to study and to compare the accuracy? Now, I'm, I'm not trying to get you out of homework or anything like that. Like, I, I mean, I'm just wondering, though, how many copies of ancient manuscripts would you need to convince you that the New Testament, the story of Jesus was accurate? Like, like 24, you know, that's like double those of Plato and Aristotle. Like 100? What if I told you that there are 13,000 different ancient manuscripts of the New Testament? A thousand times more manuscript evidence showing its accuracy, determining its accuracy. And listen, if that, if that piques your interest, that gets you curious about Jesus, if that's something you want to dig on and you want, you want to go on that journey, please do because it's worth it. I also believe that Jesus is savior because of the eyewitness testimony. People that we know in history that lived with him and walked with him and ate with him and saw him die and buried and resurrected. People that were so convinced that Jesus was who he said he was, that Jesus was savior, that they gave their lives proclaiming it. History tells us that guys like Peter, Andrew, Philip, Simon, Bartholomew were all crucified themselves for their faith. Matthew put to death by sword. Thaddeus shot with arrows. James, the brother of Jesus, stoned. Paul beheaded. John, Jesus' closest friend, dipped in hot oil and then banished to exile. Why? Because they had actually seen too much. They were willing to die for it. They were eyewitnesses. They were willing to die for what they knew to be true. I also believe Jesus is Savior because throughout the epic story of God in the Old Testament, 
There starts to be these promises of what the Savior would be like someday when he come. God would whisper to these prophets and they would write it down. I'm talking like write down stuff about the coming Savior 700 years before he ever showed up. Crazy detailed predictions about this coming Savior that are written so many hundreds of years before Jesus comes and yet he fulfills everyone. Like down to the town of Bethlehem where he would be born. Predictions that his hands and feet would be pierced, that no bones would be broken, that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, not one penny more or less, that the tomb that he would be laid in would be borrowed from a wealthy man. I mean, crazy predictions that Jesus fulfilled. And the odds of these predictions coming true in, in one man, the odds of eight of these predictions, just eight of these predictions coming true in one man is one in 10 to the 17th power. That's like one in 10, like with 17 zeros, like one in 100 quadrillion. But get this, Jesus didn't fulfill eight. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies and predictions written hundreds of years before he showed up. His fingerprints are everywhere pointing that he really is who he said he was Savior, but mostly I believe that Jesus is Savior because he has saved me, because he has pulled me out of a pit and changed my life, because he was willing to stop for a people-pleasing, conning, impure, lying, manipulative cheat, and he has rescued me, and he has given me new life, and he is still transforming me from the inside out, and man, I know that's happened for so many of you here. You have been rescued and transformed by Jesus. And sometimes it is unexplainable, but it is undeniable because it is personal. You may be sitting in a row right now with a family who just a few years ago was absolutely falling apart, but Jesus has gotten close and it has radically, radically changed them. You may be sitting really close to someone today who is really adrift in a deep, deep sea of depression or of grief, but Jesus has met them there and sustained them and strengthened them and never left them. His presence has been with them. You may just be a few seats away from someone here today who has wrestled big time with addiction, alcoholism, drug addiction, an eating disorder, but they surrendered to Jesus as their higher power started seeking him for help and he's been transforming their life one moment at a time, one day at a time. You are in the same room with people right now who may be terminally ill, but they are finding a different kind of healing. This unexplainable strength and peace to move through every day because they know that their savior has brought salvation to them and they've got an eternal hope that will not disappoint. You are in the same room with people who have had a horrible reputation, a wild sexual past, people that have done prison time, those who never thought forgiveness was available for them, but they found out they were dead wrong about the kind of God that God is because they have experienced the life-changing touch of Jesus Christ. It's our stories. Which brings me to my last question. Is Jesus your savior? If there is a need for a savior, and he is that savior, have you trusted him to save you? To take your place, 
to pay your debt, to take your punishment, to wipe your slate clean, to cover your sin, all of it, past, present, future, with his sacrifice, to move into your life and to begin to change you from the inside out, to forgive you, to give you freedom from all that stuff that's been holding you down, holding you back, to take your shame, to lead you, to guide you to a better way to live, to make you somebody new, to redeem your past. Listen, you may not even know why you showed up today or or logged on today. It's because he's pursuing you. God knows he's seeking to save you, to give you a new life. And maybe you've always thought, that you're the one that's got to get your life cleaned up a little first, you know, before you come to Jesus. That he wouldn't meet you, not in the middle of what you got, not in the middle of all this mess, not in the middle of all this dysfunction, or, you know, in this addiction, or in these lies, or in this baggage, that, that maybe he's angry with you, or he's disgusted by you, or he's di- disappointed that you're back here again, or maybe he's just uninterested in you. You need to know that's not our God. It's not the God that Jesus shows us. Jesus stops for you. He sees you. He knows you're leaning in, and he wants to spend time with you. He wants you to spend time with him. He wants into your house, into your life, into your heart because he loves you and he came for it to seek and save us, to be your personal savior. You cannot out his grace. Our mistakes will never outnumber his mercy. We have not outrun his pursuit. His invitation is, why don't you come on down? Come down to me, trust me, surrender to me. I came for you. This is the life purpose of Jesus that fulfilled the plan of God. You know the plan of God? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And if you are here today, whoever you are, whoever believes in him, just like Jesus said to Zacchaeus. You can accept the savior of the world as your savior. The forgiver of the sins of the world as the forgiver of your pile of sin. You could choose today to believe that Jesus really was who he said he was. Our way out of hopelessness. Today you could accept the free gift of salvation could come to your house today. And you could choose to follow him the rest of your life, which would just be awesome. Because the more we spend time with him, the more that we're transformed. So I just want to lead any of us here that maybe felt like they were out on a limb walking in, just a little curious, who is this man? That if God's stirring in your heart, in faith, I just want to lead us in this simple prayer. And it's a prayer that's been prayed for thousands of years by people, you know, clutching to Bibles and hospital rooms and people standing in trenches in war and people at their bedsides on their knees and people in churches all over the world today. Would you bow your heads wherever you're at? And today, if you believe this, if you want to speak these words to God, Scripture tells us that if there is faith in your heart and confession from your lips, 
you will be saved. You'll be made new. He'll give you the power to do this life and hope to die without fear because of eternal salvation. So let me just pray this prayer. If this is you and you believe this in faith today, just pray this with me, dear God. I know I'm a sinner and I cannot fix myself. I need a savior. And I believe Jesus came for me. I believe he loves me. He died for me. He rose again to give me new life. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And I accept him today as my Lord and savior. I give you my heart. Amen. Man, if that was a prayer you prayed, maybe for the first time, a decision you made today, that is so amazing. And maybe the next step, the, the very next step for you would be to go public with that decision to get baptized. Something that Jesus asked us to do to kind of mark the moment to go, okay, dead to sin and now I'm alive in Christ. I'm gonna walk a new way. I mean, that could happen today for you too. We've, there's amazing people at Guest Info that you just go and say, hey, it's me. I'm like, salvation came today. I'm ready to be baptized today. And they'll make that happen for you today. I mean, we would love to celebrate that with you. And then just for all of us, you know, that we've known Jesus as our savior, would we remember his pursuit of us? We remember how much we've been saved. And would we live with this kind of purpose, the purpose he lived with, to bring good news everywhere we go? And not to be the grumblers, like I can't believe that person, but rather to be driven by love, to stop for people, sit with people, spend time with people, and introduce them to Jesus. God, I thank you for just how much you love us, I thank you for today. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming, Jesus, to seek and save the lost. We love you and we know we need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.